Welcome to the Ord Minute Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Yes, welcome to the podcast, the Ord Minute Podcast. This is where we help you, our Ord Minute and Eel and C. Bailey clients. This is where we help you make sense of the market and highlight and discuss some of our key research pieces uh, that we may have produced. You may have heard our introductory episode in the last few days featuring an interview with Ord Minute Chief Executive Carl Morris. And today we're going to get a view on the state of the equity market, on the state of the economy, and a view really on the on the state of the world as it sits at the moment. And it'll be a familiar voice to many. A warm welcome to Malcolm Wood. Welcome, Mal. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So, Mal, you're the Head of Institutional Research and Head of Asset Allocation uh, now for Ord Minute. Um, for those who haven't been introduced to you before, what's your background? Yeah, thanks, Nick, and uh, thank you, everybody, for the opportunity to present to you. Um, prior to joining Ordmanette, um, I was at uh, ELNC Bailey as Chief Investment Officer, so doing investment strategy and asset allocation for just over three years. And then prior to that, um, spent uh, 15 years at Morgan Stanley doing uh, equity research and asset allocation roles here and in Asia. And then uh, uh, I started my career at BT Australia, which was a well-known asset allocator, and I did US equities there for them for uh, for many years. So that's a quick snapshot. Okay. So therefore, you are well qualified to answer my next set of questions, Mal. So... Um Let's set the scene a little bit. The Aussie equity market's up, what, 4 or 5% above pre-COVID highs now. So from your perspective, how's the Australian economy faring and where are we at in terms of the recovery? The Australian economy is faring extremely well, Nick. Uh, we think we're in a, well, we, call, we were calling it a V recovery. It's really a V expansion now because uh, when the uh, first quarter GDP numbers came out a week or so ago, they showed us that the economy is already 0.8% larger than it was before COVID. So we fully recovered and we think all the indicators are pointing to a very strong expansion at this point in time. Just to give you a couple of examples of that, um, ANZ job ads up another 7.9% in May. They're 40% above pre-COVID levels, a 13-year high. Uh, we've had... Um, Housing finance on Friday, which was, again, strong. Owner-occupier up 4.3%. That is 61.5% above pre-COVID levels. I could go on, but there's many indicators that haven't just recovered. They're substantially above where they were before COVID. Okay, let's delve into that a little bit. What about the consumer How's the consumer faring at the moment and what's the outlook from that perspective? Yes, according to the GDP numbers, real consumer spending still 1.5% smaller than it was before COVID. But if you break that down, there's really a tale of two cities here. Um, Retail sales are 12% larger than they were. Um, vehicle sales, this, this is April data, vehicle sales in May, 8.9% larger than they were two years ago. So you've got the goods part of consumer spending very strong. It's the services part with obviously many parts of that closed or um, partly open that uh, that's lagged behind. And I guess 
travel and tourism being an extreme example of that. So you've got uh, transport services, accommodation, those sorts of parts of, of consumer spending, which are still well below where they were. But the overall picture is um, strong recovery, and we think that consumer spending over the next couple of years will be extraordinarily strong. So that data that you mentioned, I guess that reflects uh, some of the stimulus, the help uh, and the recovery that's been happening in the economy yes. over the last few months. But, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had the federal budget. So what what does that do to the picture that is already recovering? Yeah, so it just adds to it, Nick. Um, the, uh, the, the budget was portrayed as a big spending budget. In fact, uh, most of that spending is after the next election. So you might say that's really the next government's uh, uh, choice as to whether they'll go through with that. But in the year that we're about to enter, the spending there, the additional spending and tax cuts there is worth about 0.6% of GDP. Some of that will go to households with spending on um, the aged care, mental health um, and uh, the NDIS. Some of it will go in tax cuts, uh, this low middle income tax offset being extended a year. And some of it will go to business with the extension of the instant asset write-off for another uh, for another year. So uh, the, the, the budget just adds to that recovery. Okay. So it's a reasonably pos- positive picture for the Australian economy that you paint. What about the risks from here? Um, clearly, uh, inflation is always a risk in an in- expansionary economy. What are yeah. your thoughts on inflation and, and its potential timing, I guess? Yeah, so... Um, in, when you think about risks, you're usually thinking about imbalances, and this is one where uh, Australia's coming out of this looking extremely, extremely positive. So, one one imbalance one often sees within a strong Australian economy is a large current account deficit. In fact, we're just recording our record current account surplus. And, and another imbalance would be ridiculous asset prices. And although house prices are very strong at the moment, they haven't done much for the last few years. Um, the stock market, we think, is is, is not uh, extremely uh, overvalued either. Um, so really, as you say, Nick, you come down to it and you're looking at the budget deficit and inflation as the key potential imbalances. The good news on the budget deficit is that it's improving rapidly, in our view, with the strongly recovering economy. So you come back to uh, inflation as the key risk. And uh, we would argue that inflationary risks here are a lot more moderate than uh, than they are in the United States. The stimulus here hasn't been as aggressive or um, perhaps poorly directed as it has been in the United States. So let me just give you a couple of points of comparison. Money supply growth in Australia, um, sign of you know, liquidity injections, peaked at um, under 13% year on year. It peaked at 27% in the United States, highest level since World War II for them. Then you come to wages growth and with the uh, the bump in unemployment associated with COVID, our wages have slowed to 1.5% year on year. That's, uh, that's very low by historic standards. US wages, however, have held up fairly well at about 3% year on year. And then, of course, the uh, proof's in the pudding, what's actually happening to inflation and our underlying inflation in the first quarter was 1.2%, which we think is about half the target that the Reserve Bank's got in mind of a sustainable two to three, uh, whilst in the US, um, their core consumer deflator, which is the sort of measure the Fed prefers to look at, 
um, has jumped to uh, about 3% uh, year on year, uh, 3.1% in fact. And um, probably uh, if, you, if you strip out some of the one-offs, it's in the low twos and the Fed wants it to be in the mid, moderately above 2%, let's call it mid twos. So we think inflation risks are far higher than in the US than here. Okay. So thinking, and we'll get to the US in a second in a little bit more detail, but thinking just about the Australian equity market, I guess what you're saying uh, paints a pretty positive picture for corporate earnings, which would be good for the market and uh, potentially positive for dividends as well. Absolutely right. So we're thinking that uh, there'll there'll be an ongoing profits boom here, really until the Reserve Bank calls time with rate rises. And that looks some ways off to us. Uh, so we've had a profits uh, earnings expectations have already recovered by more than 30% from the trough. We think that number goes to 50% this year. So plenty of earnings upside here, which we think will be the key driver of our market from here. And you know, with the recovery in profits, it's it's reasonable to think that uh, dividends will also be restored. Uh, and uh, um, according to my colleague Z. At the moment, the the dividend forecast for our market is is just under four percent, which is not a bad return uh, given where interest rates are. So let's go around the grounds um, in terms of the various economies. So you mentioned inflation risks in uh, the U.S. Generally, how is the uh, U.S. economy and the U.S. market looking to you at the moment? So the U.S. is like Australia. We think the U.S. is in a V recovery. Um, we, we, we think that uh, a lot of that is in the price, however. Um, so uh, the earnings recovery in the US is uh, more advanced than in Australia. And as, as I mentioned, Nick, it looks to us as if inflationary pressures are going to emerge sooner in the US than they do here. Uh, so it looks to, we think the, the US recovery is a little more advanced and the market's pricing in more of the good news. So uh, we've got a a cautious, let's call it a less positive view on the US. Okay. And if we think about um, Europe? Mm. Yeah, Europe's lagging way behind. The good news is there that the the vaccine rollouts have accelerated and um, and with that, we should see more of a reopening in Europe as we go through this year. That's badly needed. Uh, Just to put this in context, you know, I mentioned that our real GDP is 0.8% larger than uh, pre-COVID levels. In the case of the United States, it's 0.9% smaller. In the case of Europe, 5.6% smaller. The UK, 8.7% smaller. So you can see there the, 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 the drastic differences in recoveries to date. So Europe's got a bit of catching up to do, um, and but we think it will with um, this massive US stimulus and um, the vaccine rollout. So Australia's tra- travelling very well, as you mentioned, in that context, in global context, but we are well behind on our vaccine rollout. Is that going to hamper us and are we going to see larger um, catch-ups, particularly out of continental Europe and the UK over the next 12 months, do you think? Yeah, so you would think that there would be room for for, for a greater catch up in Europe. Um, having said that, um, you know the, the the amount of stimulus in the system in Australia is uh, unprecedented. Is probably a bit bit of a uh, a dangerous word to use, but let's just say it's extremely high. 
we we, rec- we reckon that the net stimulus here is about 30% of GDP. And, you know, a lot of that is still sitting there. Um, it's been saved so far. So we think with the combination of uh, ongoing recovery, vaccine rollout, as you say, Nick, and uh, uh, strong asset prices, that people will spend a lot of that money that they've saved so far. So this is going to mean very strong growth here. And we think, yeah, Europe will, will also uh, en- enjoy catch-up uh, more there from the benefit of reopening and uh uh, that's very important for European uh, tourism, particularly Southern Europe, where it's very dependent on that. Yeah. And, and what about um, emerging markets? And, and I guess mm. the thing with emerging markets is uh, the COVID experience of some of the different countries in emerging markets has been vastly different. So I guess it yes, depends right, where we're right talking point. about specifically, but I guess let's ch- start with China. Yes, yeah, so China's uh, experience of COVID, of course, uh, was uh, was a lot better than elsewhere because uh, of the uh, the lockdown before Chinese New Year last year, and and since then they've enjoyed a full recovery. In fact, we've been suggesting that China's been tapping on the brakes here since really late last year, and their growth trajectory. If if anything's moderated, just as the US has been accelerating. So, you know, Asia, East Asia was the first into the downturn, courtesy of, of China and COVID. It's also been the first out and uh, largely uh, the recoveries behind them. Um, so as you, as, as you point out, by contrast, you look at uh, India and parts of Latin America where COVID's still raging um, and there's, there's probably more of a... Uh, recovery to occur there as uh, the vaccine rollout uh, and the global and the global recovery uh, continues. So, so yeah, just to finish that thought, so we've actually been trimming our exposure to um, to emerging markets, uh, given that you know, a lot of that's already happened. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, wrap up our conversation, Mal, in terms of the the complete suite of, of recommendations by um, asset class. Uh, in your job as head of asset allocation. Um, so which um, asset classes are you overweight at the moment? Yes, so we're overweight, still overweight um, equities, uh, particularly in Australia, given our positive view on the V recovery, V expansion here. Lots of liquidity still being in, uh, injected into the system by the Reserve Bank, which is ultra easy, and just the amount of stimulus that's still sitting there on the sideline. So we think uh, a strong earnings-driven market here in Australia. Uh, we, we're, we're also overweight international equities. Um, that's a little trickier as to where to be, but we still think that uh, the earnings momentum is very strong. Um, you've got uh, liquidity still being injected by all the major central banks with prob- the possible exception of Canada. Uh, and, uh, and you know, outside of the United States, valuations to us look, uh, look reasonable. So uh, we're overweight uh, international equities. By contrast, we're underweight defensive assets, particularly bonds. Uh, we think government bonds remain risky. They don't seem to us to be factoring in the risks of... Um, inflation that we've talked about, particularly in the United States. Uh, so we're underweight um, bonds and bond proxies, you know, property and infrastructure uh, associated with that. So that's our broad broad, uh, broad asset allocation positioning. And then lastly, um, on that basis, um, where do you think the Aussie dollar might get to? 
Yeah, so uh, for, for those who've listened to us for a while, you'd know that we, we turned very bullish on the Aussie dollar um, in the middle of uh, the downturn last year. So we, we've caught a really good recovery in the currency. The currency fundamentals still are very attractive. Uh, we're doing current account surpluses, as I mentioned. We've got strong commodity prices, strong growth here. Um, they should be pushing the Aussie dollar materially higher. Uh, the little caveat to that is that um, if the if the U.S. Uh, runs into inflation first and starts to tighten policy first, we think that'll that'll change the direction of the U.S. dollar. So uh, we are still positive on the Aussie, but we think it's getting closer. Uh, uh, you, know, you probably shouldn't use a, a baseball analogy in uh, talking about the Aussie dollar, but we're in we're in the seventh or eighth inning here. Uh, of a baseball game. Okay. All right, that makes sense. So for more information on anything you've heard in this podcast, please get in touch with your Ord Minute or Eel and C. Bailey advisor. Uh, we'll be back soon uh, with further updates, but for now, uh, Head of Asset Allocation, Malcolm Wood, thanks for your time. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. You have been listening to the Ord Minute podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessment about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned.